0: Time for midweek media watch. Kira Hayden, Kira Karen, how are you? I'm well, thank you. Hayden Donnell is with us. Amanda Green, have you ever done made, uh, made a mistake like that?
1: It was the first time I've ever heard that word. Is it uh, said just now as we approach this interview? I was, I was I was panicked. I was thinking, I hope Karen doesn't ask me about what that is. This is my worst
0: nightmare playing out live on the on the radio. <laughs> Uh, it's a mishear. When you mishear something, all your life okay. you miss. You think oh, it's something I, I else. Was it,
1: what, is it barrels of holly? I'm shocked
0: no, by it's, that. No, it's that's bows, bows, not Bell. bells, uh but b o u g h s. Bells. Oh, of holly! I thought it was bells and holly.
1: I think I suspected it was bells too.
0: It sounds like it should be bells, shouldn't it? It's Christmas after all.
1: Yeah, but it doesn't make sense. Holly's not exactly known for its ringing qualities, is it? (laughs) That's
0: right. (laughs) Let's get on to Jessica, Barry and Jenna, that debacle.
1: That's exactly right. We have to get on to the drama of the week, the tense drama that played out at the Prime Minister's post-cabinet press conference on Monday. Uh, So here's how that went down.
0: Who are unvaccinated as well. Okay, um, I will come. Jessica, then Barry, and then well, can Gina. I ask you one quick question, uh, Barry. About TVs about are on deadlines as well. Jessica, earlier, and so did I you, yes. you Barry. I'm going to ask for a little decorum. Jessica, and then Barry. Uh, Jessica, <laughs>
1: tell that, us where that was. That, Karen, that was at the post cabinet press conference on 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 Monday in the Beehive, and that's the sound of a room full of political journalists trying to ask their questions, apparently oblivious to the fact that not only are they in the presence of Barry Soper, but Barry Soper on a deadline. And what's more, they're being indulged. Jacinda Ardern is prioritising it. So you can see why Barry Soper might've thought this is an outrage. And he uh, walked out soon after that run-in and the press conference went on for another 30, 40 minutes or whatever. But he missed that uh, because he said he had to make uh, he had that deadline. He had to make an appearance on Heather Duplessis Allen's show at four forty-five, and also he was uh, during that press conference working on an opinion piece about how the prime minister is unwilling to answer questions at press conferences.
0: Uh, this dispute—it's made international headlines, of course. Of course, it has,
1: given the names involved. So Yahoo News in Australia has covered the issue, uh, leading with the I, I thought audacious headline: "Big Sook." Journalists Called Out for Embarrassing Press Conference Act, and its coverage is pretty extensive. There's a lot of embedded tweets, but what I think it's missed is the fact that this isn't an isolated incident. This is just one installment in what's been a roiling, long-standing, simmering standoff between Barry Soper and Jacinda Ardern. And I just want to dig into the backstory of that conflict a little bit tonight.
0: Okay, then let's hear the history of the conflict, Hayden.
1: Yeah, so as I say, it's been bubbling a really long time. This is not just something that blew up on Monday. Barry Soper wrote back in March, so March, this is how long he's been raising this issue, and still it goes on, that unlike her predecessors, Jacinda Ardern is remote, she doesn't invite political journalists up to her ninth-floor office damning. But despite that, the issue has festered, and a few weeks ago, Grant Robertson interrupted uh, SOPA to allow time for Newsroom's Mark Daulder to ask a question, and here's how that went down. Sorry, just Mark, I don't I don't we haven't understand. had Mark yet. I don't quite no, no, understand. Mark. Well, Barry, we just, we we we, well, no, we hear it out, on, and then we come back. From that question. No, I'm actually going to take Mark, and then well, I'll come back. Well, this is a press conference. Yep, um, I, press I know, I'm conference answering conference questions, conference, Barry. Yeah. I'm going to go to Mark, and then to you. <laughs> Not good either, was it? Now, Mark Daulder may have been one of our... Sorry, sorry, Karen. Quite funny. You you may think it's funny to, to hear that sort of thing play out. Uh, 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 others would call it an affront to journalism. We just have to have our own opinions on this. I mean, Mark Daulder, he has been one of our better journalists on COVID and the climate over the last couple of years, but... Has he ever covered a campaign with Rob Muldoon? Has he ever rubbed shoulders with Ruth Richardson or Bill Birch? I think not. And that sort of lack of deference from people like Mark is becoming endemic in the press gallery, of course. And as a result, these flare-ups are becoming more frequent. And a week ago, we had a similar incident. Uh, this is I have lots of these clips, right? This is Barry Soper trying to ask a question over some other reporters on November 15th.
0: Jason, and then Henry. I'll just go, if I may, Barry, I've already just set out an order. I did, I bounced Jason twice, so oh, Jason's been very generous. Barry.
1: So, there it was happening again. It's happening all the time. In that case as well, uh, Barry Soper would go on to Heather De Allen's show, to talk about the dust-up, and here's what he said then.
0: Well, as she said, I don't know whether you heard her. She said, I would issued an
1: order. And that was. Oh, you're joking. This Prime Minister really has to get used to answering questions. Hmm.
0: You can hear what their conversation's like at home, can't you? It sounds fun.
1: Some might say that was a little bit misleading, though, right? Because, I mean, they would contend that Jacinda Ardern was trying to sort out an order for questions to go in rather than issuing in order necessarily, like a military general. Uh, and I, and before we go on, I do want to say, I mean, Barry Soper does have a point about maybe some people are frustrated that they get to move on from follow-up questions pretty fast, uh, though you would have to know that he has been able to ask multiple questions at all these press conferences. Uh, nevertheless, the military analogy that he was using is apt, because this as I say, was just a mere skirmish in a wider conflict we're talking.
0: So basically you're describing a a kind of simmering Cold War between Barry Soper and Jacinda Ardern.
1: That's exactly right. That's exactly right. What's happening is a Cold War, uh, tensions have been brewing for a long time. They're simmering under the surface and they keep flaring up whenever these press conferences come around. And Monday's incident shows that if anything this crisis is only deepening and the chasm between government and SOPA is widening and the snubs if anything are becoming more egregious and terse and look if Jacinda Ardern doesn't make a correction she'll be in danger of treating Barry SOPA just like any other journalist and nobody wants to see that least of all Barry SOPA.
0: Well, now that we've, uh, I think we've adequately covered the Barry Soper situation, you want to move on to COVID-19?
1: That's absolutely right. Uh, uh, Sorry to have to move on to such a a, a less exciting topic, but uh, last week we spoke about the lack of context in the stories in some of our bigger news organisations about the health and education workers being stood down over the government's vaccine mandate, and I wrote an article on the topic that we spoke about and it got quite a lot of feedback a lot of it was positive i do want to note that a lot of it was really nice uh some of it was pretty scientifically iffy and still more of it was kind of completely disconnected from reality but one vein of feedback stood out and i want to highlight it because people were talking about the misinformation or really borderline content that they'd seen in some of the smaller local papers across the country that I have to admit Media Watch doesn't monitor as closely.
0: So what what papers are we talking about, Hayden? Uh, talking about
1: first of all I want to highlight the Mungify Focus which it led its latest issue with the headline, show support for teachers lost to vaccine mandate. I mean I kind of would dispute that term lost, it wasn't like they kind of Uh, were taken out in a battle or something. They just didn't choose to go down to their local pharmacy to get a painless and effective jab against the pandemic. But the story only, like literally only, includes comments from the group Voices for Freedom, uh, which you might know of, but they've repeatedly advanced anti-vax views. The focus story doesn't say that, though. it allows the group to kind of reframe itself as being all about bodily autonomy and a freedom to choose. And uh, that is pretty, uh, I mean, it's cause for skepticism, if you know anything about how that group has acted over the last year or so. So an editorial in the same issue warns about the risks of COVID, they're not completely like, not a COVID denying organization or anything like that, but it has repeatedly platformed pretty misleading or anti-vax views most notably, it has a regular column called Warzel's World, and in March, that columnist said COVID was not a real pandemic and repeated a host of anti-vax misinformation, ivermectin, all the rest of it. Uh, in September, they that person repeated the contrived pandemic line and compared resisting the vaccine mandate to William Wallace's freedom fighting. And, I mean, that last bit kind of sounds a bit comical. I think that they actually repeated William Wallace's speech from the movie Braveheart, which I'm not sure is a completely historical retelling. But uh, it is kind of worrying because comparing the current government to a tyrannical regime that's oppressing people is pretty out there and it's designed to inspire this kind of fervent and perhaps even violent responses in people. Uh, So that I find kind of worrying seeing that printed in something that just goes delivered straight into people's Letter boxes. And the focus wasn't the only local paper repeating this kind of really questionable information or misinformation verbatim. Last weekend's, or last, last week's edition sorry, of the Wanaka Sun carries a story about the GP Mark Edmund, who's been stood down due to the mandate as well. And the story allows Edmund to make a series of questionable claims, which echo some of the talking points you'll see in online anti-vax realms. I mean, he calls the Pfizer vaccine a gene therapy. That's not true to crib a scientific explanation from Stuff's Charlie Mitchell. Genes are made of DNA and the mRNA from the vaccine can't insert itself into DNA. It's not possible for it to be a gene therapy. Uh, It just goes in the quote marks and doesn't get questioned in the story.
0: A GP or teachers leaving is obviously newsworthy for a community, so how would you report that?
1: Yeah, exactly. I mean, especially in these smaller communities, something like the local GP leaving is a newsworthy event. Still, if that person is leaving over something like this and they give information that's not accurate or uh, is potentially even dangerous, I would say it's best not to print that quote. <laughs> that's the first line of defense, right? Don't repeat information that's not true. But if you are going to quote these people on the st- their stances, then, they should be checked. The things that they say should be checked within a story and accurate countervailing information should be aired alongside because journalists (laughs) have a bedrock duty. The first thing that you're meant to do is not misinform your audience, right? I mean, just telling people the truth, that is your first responsibility. And I think some of these stories and just quoting these people verbatim, it has the potential to leave audiences worse off and less informed. And particularly when that that quote is coming from a traditionally trusted figure like a local GP. And just to remind people, this guy isn't out there. I think it's something like 99.7% of doctors or something now have complied with the vaccine mandate. So uh, it has the potential to deliver a distorted uh, impression of what uh, medical practitioners actually think on this issue. And uh, I mean, just to repeat what I said last week as well. I, it really bugs me that some of these stories lack context and they, they talk about the rights of the people involved and they give a sympathetic portrayal of them, but they don't talk about how these people are, if they're if you're unvaccinated, you're roughly 20 times more likely to uh, give someone else COVID. And this isn't just a matter of their individual freedoms, but it's a matter of the freedom of their in the case of teachers, young pupils, or in the case of healthcare workers, vulnerable or immunocompromised patients. And they have rights as well to not be exposed to COVID-19. And if you're in a position of care, you have responsibilities not to expose the people in your care to risk. And those vulnerable people's competing rights, I think, should be mentioned in these stories as well, given that they're they're at the heart of these mandates. And uh, all too often, in so many of the stories, they're just completely invisible.
0: I love the name of that column, Wurzel's World in the Mungify Focus. I wonder what his first name is.
1: <laughs> I actually don't know. It's it's one of the more out there columns I've ever read, to be honest with you. Uh, apparently, yeah, people have complained over the, the, the column, but it's just been met with um, – with the line that oh well you should see by the editor uh, you should see what I had to take out uh, <laughs>
0: that is so, quite I mean, funny
1: <laughs> yeah I I mean some of it is it's, it's pretty out there and it's I mean it's just, some of it's just false and it's just being printed and and it's going into people's letterbox might, like, might be getting it for free might be getting column for free. And that's the problem, right? That's the problem, right? There's so much of the more rigorously checked stuff is behind a paywall or it's for sale at the local dairy and the stuff that's bad comes to you straight on Facebook or it goes into your into your letterbox for free.
0: No, I mean the person writing it, Wurzel, might be doing it for free. Oh, yeah, that too. That Absolutely. too. All right, lastly, you wanted to cover a new podcast. Uh,
1: yes, I do. do. Uh, Stuff has a new podcast out called Tell Me About It, where reporters Kirsty Johnson and Michelle Duff talk to some of the women they've covered in their reporting on the justice system and the ways it fails women, and uh, in particular, uh, fails people in general. But uh, the first episode is about a woman who was identified only as S, who had to go to court against her rapist twice after his first conviction was overturned. And I think the value of the podcast is that it conveys stuff that uh, a a written news report can't always do, and we we can cover facts and we can illustrate in that way how uh, the the justice system might mistreat people or elongate their suffering, but it really puts a human face on the ways in which this system can, as I say, mistreat people and make – actually, add to what's already happened to them, which is bad enough.
0: Hayden, thank you very much for Midweek Media Watch.
1: Hey, thanks for having me.
0: Hayden Donnell there.